Please be seated. The sermon text this morning is taken from the Word of God in Matthew chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, and verses 51 and 52. You can follow along in your bulletins, or it can be found in the Pew Bible on page 819. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Verse 51. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The grass withers, the flower fades. Well, let's pray together. Father, what I ask is that you would make it so, make Make it so that our hearts would uh, overflow. They'd be united this morning, and they would be united in overflowing with the good theme of your grace in the Lord Jesus. That we would be stirred up by your spirit to address, like the psalmist, to address our verses to you, praise to you, and thanks to you for the privileges that belong to us in Christ, and that our tongues, like the psalmist says, would be the pen's of a ready scribe. We'd be eager to recount your goodnesses today. And Father, that's why I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters, and I also want to ask that you would come with saving power and mercy to the lost this morning in this room, that, uh, Father, anyone who has entered this room not united uh, by repentance and faith to Jesus Christ would not exit it in the same condition because you will have met them and made this the day of their salvation. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there's a billboard. Uh, about It's on the east side of I-4. It's about halfway down uh, between uh, Lake Mary, the Lake Mary Boulevard exit and uh, the 434 exit. And uh, I always notice it. I notice it when, uh, when I drive down. There's a lottery billboard. Now, I don't play the lottery, but I notice the billboard. And on that billboard, there's always a listing of the jackpot size. And I happen to notice the jackpot size every time I drive by it. And uh, one week, it'll be $50 million, something like that. And I'll think to myself, hey, what would it be like? I could probably pay somebody to keep my lawn alive. <laughs> Maybe a lot of people is what it would take. Uh, and then I'll go by another week, and it'll only be $20 million, And I'll go, hmm. Maybe if we, okay, maybe, maybe if we only ate out six nights a week instead of seven, I could still afford the lawn service. Um, but, but in reality, what happens to me every time I look at that billboard is I start to feel poor. 
and I, a case of a gospel amnesia comes over me, and I forget how incredibly rich I am as a disciple of Jesus Christ. How could, I'm a Christian, how could I possibly ever think of myself as poor? Jesus Christ has enriched me beyond my wildest dreams. Now that's a fact. I have already, Paul says, at the beginning of Ephesians, already been blessed by God. Not will be blessed, but I have already, and all my brothers and sisters have, I have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. How could I ever think of myself as someone who is not unspeakably, indescribably, unfathomably enriched? And if you're a non-Christian visiting today, those same riches of Christ can be yours this morning. Now, what I'm going to focus on this morning uh, from our text are the privileges that belong to the disciple of Jesus Christ, to the Christian. And we're going to think about them from our two passages. But I want our non-Christian friends to know this, that Jesus Christ, the same Jesus Christ who addresses the disciples in this passage, is addressing each of us this morning and is not, he stands ready, willing, and able to enrich your life in exactly the same way. So what, what you'll be doing this morning, I trust by God's grace, is looking into the, the privileges that belong to, Christian, belong to the Christian, but my prayer has been that God's Spirit would pull you into those privileges because they are wonderful. So we're looking now Uh, at the last two parts of Matthew 13 that we have not considered yet. This is our last uh, closeout message on Matthew 13. And uh, this theme of privilege is what unites these two texts. And I want to think about our privileges as Christians through the lens of three questions. The first question is about gratitude. Am I grateful? I want you to be asking and thinking this about this question along with me. The second question has to do with growth. Am I growing? And the third question has to do with mission. Uh, am I helping others grow? So am I grateful? Am I growing? Am I helping others grow? Let's think first about am I grateful? Because gratitude to me, when I read these two texts, the first thing that just leaps off the page at me is this question, Mike, are you grateful? Are you grateful for your privileges as a disciple of Jesus Christ? And as I thought about the, the two texts, uh, verses 34 and 35 and 51 and 52, three privileges in particular, for which I ought to be exceedingly grateful as a Christian, I came to mind. First, am I grateful for the time in which I live? Am I grateful for the training that I am being given by Jesus Christ? And am I grateful for the treasure of Jesus Christ? So let's think about those three things. Am I grateful first for when I live? Now let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, the, f- 
the texts emphasize that there, when we live, friends, is an incredible privilege. And I'm not talking about 21st century. I'm not talking about uh, being in the American century or anything like that. I'm talking about what Matthew is talking about in verses 34 and 35. Because what Matthew is reminding us is that there is a line that runs through history. From God's perspective, there is a line that runs through history, and that line divides history basically into two categories. Uh, category one is the, 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 this side of the line is the promise side of the line, the hiddenness sign of the line. And then the side of the line that we live on is the side of fulfillment and revelation. And Matthew's reminding us that we live on the side of this line in the history of how God has dealt with people where the things that had once been hidden since the foundation of the world are now revealed in the person and teaching of Jesus Christ. And we live in that age of fulfillment. The purposes of God's heart have been fully disclosed now and revealed in the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. And we live in that age when God has nothing more to say about the purposes of his heart toward the world. Everything you could want to know about God has been revealed in Jesus Christ. And we live now It's absolutely staggering to think about it. Friends, you and I, when we read the Old Testament and we see characters like Moses, like I read it this morning in Numbers 12 where, you know, know, the family feud between Aaron and uh, Miriam and Moses in Numbers 12, and you know that's not going to turn out well for them. You know God is going to come alongside Moses and says, listen, Aaron and Miriam basically say, hey, hasn't the Lord spoken through us also? Why is Moses Mr. Fancy Pants? And God says, come over here. Let me tell you something. I speak to Moses mouth to mouth as a man speaks to his friend. Friends, do you realize that if you're in Christ this morning, you know God more clearly than Moses ever did during his lifetime. We are so privileged because of when we live. Do you remember what? Remember in John 14, I mean, because Jesus is the Word made flesh. And in John 14, Philip says, Lord, we love you. We trust you. Just show us the Father, and that's enough for us. We're good then. Just show us the Father. And you remember what Jesus says to Philip? He says, have I been so long with you that you haven't understood, Philip? If you have seen me, I mean, just think about this. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Friends, you realize what that means for us? We live in the age when God's purposes, his saving purposes, his saving will... and his saving accomplishments in Jesus Christ, we live on the side of that line when all of it is plain. Oh, are we grateful for that? That we see clearly. No wonder Jesus says to the disciples in verses 16 and 17, earlier in Matthew 13, oh, how blessed 
are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear my disciples. Because truly, I tell you that there were many righteous people and prophets who desired to see what you see and didn't see it and to hear what you hear and didn't hear it. We are so privileged to have the heart of God and the purposes of God made known to us. Are we grateful? Is it hard to get gratitude to God out of your heart, friends? Do you have to excavate it like it's this archaeological artifact? Oh, there it is. Let's pull it out into the light. Or does it just gush out? We are so privileged. Secondly, are we grateful for the training that we're receiving? Look at verses 51 and 52. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, now this is amazing. He's just talking to the disciples here. But notice how he describes the disciples to themselves. When he describes them to them, and by extension, us to us, notice what he says. Therefore, every scribe, that's the disciples, that's every Christian. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. You see how he's picturing the disciples that what it means to be a Christian is that you've been trained for the kingdom of heaven. You're a scribe for the kingdom of heaven. Well, who's doing the training? Friends, have you ever had anyone in your life whom you admire, who you loved, who you respected, who was higher than you? Ever take an interest in you and want to invest him or herself in you and dedicate themselves openly to wanting to enlarge your life, to expand your life, to teach you, to enrich you. Have you ever had anyone do that to you where you didn't have to be the one to move toward them and pull on their coattails and say, would you please pay attention to me and invest in me. I want to grow. But somebody who is about, it could be in the workplace. It could be a relative whom you admire. It could be a friend. It could be an older a Christian in the church. It could be somebody who's just a little bit farther along as a Christian than you. It could be, it could be anywhere. And have you ever, instead of having to pull on that person's coattails, have that person whom you admired and loved and respected move toward you and say, listen, I want I want you to be bigger, I want you to be deeper, I want you to be richer, and I'm committing myself to pour into your life. Realize that that is exactly the posture of Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth, the Alpha and the Omega, the Lamb of God, the judge of the living and the dead toward every single one of his disciples. Trained by whom for the kingdom of heaven? Trained by the king of heaven. Are you grateful? Are you astonished? Is it hard to get gratitude out of your heart? that the great one would move toward you like that and want to enlarge your heart and to train you for his kingdom? 
And that leads to the third thing that we're supposed to think about being grateful for, and that is our treasure, right? And these all blend together. I just, I just was so excited when I found three T's to sort of organize them under. These are the things, I mean, when you don't have a hobby, I mean, these are the things that kind of send a shock of electric, electric joy down my spinal cord. I got three T's. That's great. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to invite me to your birthday party. It's very, it's, I'm a dull presence, okay? But the third point is the idea of the treasure that is ours. Are we grateful for the treasure that is ours? I love this image of uh, verse 52 when, he, when Jesus says, hey, we're, my disciples are like scribes, and we'll get to what a scribe is in a minute. But they're like scribes. And let me tell you the kind of scribe that they are. Because in the New Testament, most of the scribes you come across, negative image, right? Negative image. But here Jesus is applying what for many people would, would feel like a negative image. He's applying it positively to his disciples because they're going to be different kinds of scribes. He means for us to be different kinds of scribes. We're, he says, you're like the master of a house that brings treasure out of his house. And that's an amazing thing. Well, what's the treasure? Ah, the treasure. The treasure is the king, right? I mean, we've seen it. I, I, there's a certain symmetry. You, you might not be able to see it, uh, but our first message out of Matthew 13 had to do with uh, the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. Our first message had to do with treasure. Our last one has to do with treasure too. Okay, the treasure, what we've seen again and again as we've looked at these parables of the kingdom is that at the center of Jesus' message about the worth and the urgency of the kingdom of heaven and the, and the reason the tr- kingdom of heaven and all of its implications are to be treasured by the disciples of Jesus Christ is because of the treasure that the kingdom of heaven is. And the treasure that defines the kingdom of heaven, the treasure that Jesus is entrusting to each of his disciples so that we would be like these these hosts who bring treasure out into the world, the treasure that we have been given to bring out is the king of heaven himself. It is Jesus Are we grateful that Jesus would entrust himself and all of his riches to us? I mean, think about how Paul described, I was just thinking this week about different ways that Paul describes Jesus, right? You know the 2 Corinthians 8 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, He became poor so that through his poverty, you might be made rich. Or in Ephesians 3.8, Paul says, he says, it it was given to me to preach the unsearchable, fill it in, riches of Christ. Paul's in prison when he writes that. He doesn't feel poor even when he's in prison. Because he knows that he has been, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, given the treasure of Jesus. Or in Colossians 2.3, Paul says, again, written in prison, right? Says, in him, in Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge are to be found. Amazing image. Amazing image. So friends, are we grateful for the treasure that has been entrusted to us? This king, this amazing king, Jesus Christ, 
And the longer you're a Christian, friends, I know you're going to agree with me, if you, even if you feel constrained by your Presbyterianism not to utter an audible amen, I know your hearts are singing it, right? That the longer you're a Christian, the more you come to see the value, the treasured character of Jesus Christ. He's more valuable to you now than he was before. You know that movie, Nick, I'm going to invoke one of the great spiritual authorities of our age, Nicholas Cage. And you know the end of National Treasure, the first one, which is the good one, the end of National Treasure, when they're looking for this treasure, and they finally, they, well, you don't know if they found it. They hope that they found it. I even forget what the treasure is called. But they go into this room, and it looks, it's like the treasure room. And they light, the, they put, he puts his torch down in this, like, channel that has, like, sparkling powder, which is the way to illuminate the treasure room. And so he, because there's no electric lights in there. So he puts the torch down, and then the, the, the like, the, I don't know if it's gunpowder or whatever it is, the flash powder begins to burn, and it spreads. And as it spreads, the, you begin to see, the, as the room is illuminated, more and more and more and more and more and more and more treasure. Well, friends, is a Christian life like that for you? Because it's supposed to be. Which way is the light going in your life, friends, about Jesus Christ? I mean, honestly, when you think about the progress of your Christian life, does it feel like the light is coming back towards you or moving away from you, showing more treasure or less treasure? Oh, friends. Which leads to our second point, okay? Are we growing? Or am I growing? I want you to think about it in the personal uh, question you know, to yourself. Am I growing? I want you to ask this about yourself. Because this is really about, if the first question had to do with whether we're grateful for our privileges, this second question really kind of comes home and asks the question, okay, well, what am I doing with those privileges? Am I sitting on them or am I growing? And, and so in order to kind of unpack this, I want to think with you about these two images of the scribe and the master of the house in verse 52 that Jesus uses to describe us. Because what they both describe is, what they both picture is, is ongoing growth and development. And let me explain why. First, think about the scribe. Now, what was a scribe? A scribe was somebody who was the guardian of God's written word. He was a guardian of the Torah, God's instruction, which we know was embodied in written scriptures. So the scribe was an authoritative guardian of God's written word in the scriptures. So he was a teacher. He was an interpreter. But now think about that image. We're going to talk about the teaching side of a scribe under the next point, the last point. But think about that. In order to be a teacher, what had to be true about the scribe? He first had to be a student. Right? You know that from, from personal experience in other realms of life. You cannot teach something that you are not a student of. It won't work. Well, you can try, but you will really stink it up royally. I could not teach piano for so many reasons, but mainly because I'm not a student of the piano. 
But see, the scribe, what Jesus is implying about his disciples is they will be students. They will commit themselves. He's entrusting a body of revelation to them. He's entrusting the the words of his kingdom to them. He's depositing God's revelation with them. And in order, and he expects that they're going to be guardians of it. He expects that they're going to teach others from it and about it. But in order for them to be able to do it, they must first be students sitting under that very uh, revelation themselves first. And in fact, unless they continue to do that, they will not be qualified to be scribes. Right, So to steward God's word as a teacher or interpreter, the scribe always had to first steward them as a student. Does that make sense? Now think about the second image, master of the house. The same idea is conveyed in that image because Jesus is describing a master of a house, the disciple who is always bringing out treasure out of his house, bringing it out to share it, bringing it out, not just to show it, but to give it away. And there's a picture, the, the treasure store of the disciple is not uh, being depleted. It's always being replenished. There's an ongoing source of the treasure. So think about how these two images of the scribe and the master of the house work together. The, scribe, the scribe's life is wed to the, the, the words of God. And the master of the house has treasure. And what Jesus is telling us is that to be his disciple means that we, in having the words of God, and we have them in the written form that the Spirit has inspired, is to hold the treasure of Jesus. Now, what this raises for us instantly is, the, is a question about the space that the Bible occupies in each of our lives. Because, friends, Jesus says that every one of his scribes, every one of his disciples, excuse me, is a scribe, which means that we don't have the choice as Christians about whether or not our lives are going to be inextricably intertwined with God's written word. That's how Jesus defines a disciple. Do you see that? And so, you know what? This has prompted me this week to think a lot about my own life. You see, the fact that I'm a pastor doesn't end the inquiry. It doesn't end the inquiry. It just begins it. What space does, the, what space does God's word and my stewardship uh, over what God has entrusted to me of his word, of his revelation, of his purposes, his heart, his desires, his loves, his hates, his plan for history. What kind of stewardship is my life reflecting? It doesn't matter that I'm a pastor. It doesn't matter that we belong to either a local congregation or a, a denomination more largely that, that has a stated and, and I love this about the PCA, this, and I love this about our congregation. I love this about our elders. This, this uncompromising commitment to the priority of the Word of God. But you know what? It doesn't, it doesn't end the inquiry there. Because you can believe, and I know this from personal experience, you can believe in the authority of God's Word as an inspired, of the Bible, as the inspired text, God-breathed, Spirit-inspired. You can confess that truly and yet not live according, on a daily basis, not live according to the actual sufficiency of the Bible. 
where you're actually living out this stewardship and growing in it. That's a great burden of my heart, both personally and pastorally. I want my life personally, and I want your lives pastorally to tell the very same story that Jesus first rebuffed Satan with in that first temptation in the wilderness. Listen, Jesus says, man, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I want our lives together as a congregation to tell that story. I want you to be able to look into my life and say, Mike actually believes that. And on top of that, Micah is actually living that. There's evidence. And I want to be able to look into your life and say, friends, this is critical. You're doing it too. You know, we, I, I am totally convinced that we have arrived at a very significant cultural moment that is fraught with great peril, particularly for evangelicals. And do you know what the peril is that concerns me as I, as I am involved in the Presbytery and as I, you know, I, I've been a Christian now for 31 years. I know the temptations in my life. I see what happens in a lot of Christians' lives. You know what the, the concern that I have is, is that there is a peril pandemic of effective, excuse me, functionally Bibleist Christianity that is just rampant among evangelicals, where there is a, 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 an unbiblical, ironic, an unbiblical disjunction between uh, professed faith in Jesus Christ and God's written revelation in his word. How else do you explain Uh, an NBA player coming out in a week and saying, hey, number one, I'm a Christian. Number two, I am telling you right now in an open and unrepentant way that I am engaging in a homosexual lifestyle and getting virtually no pushback on that. It's because of that disjunction. Friends, A Bibleist Christianity is an oxymoron. I'm not saying we worship the Bible, and I'm not encouraging you to, uh, to, uh, to be a Bible idolater, but I am saying these things. There is no path to joy in the Christian life that does not go through the Bible. There is no path to growth in the Christian life. There is no path to fruitfulness in the Christian life. There is no path to assurance in the Christian life. There is no path to wisdom in the Christian life that does not go through the Bible. There is no path to a relationship with Jesus Christ that does not go through the Bible. Jesus says that his disciples are scribes A scribe is someone whose life is wed inextricably to the sacred text spoken by God. Friends, don't be fooled. You know, uh, probably many of you, like me, have been uh, following that news story about the prisoners at Guantanamo who are on a hunger strike. Have you seen that? It's a, oh, it's such a hard story. And I listened to an interview, a long interview this week with one of the lawyers for several, uh, with one of the lawyers for several of the detainees. 
and the interviewer asked the lawyer, why are they doing this? Because, you know, a hunger strike is so self-destructive. I mean, think about it. It's so self-destructive. What you're doing, you're saying, no, I know I need food. I mean, to be a human being means you know you need to eat, right, in order to live. So this is a very conscious act of saying, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm destroying myself. And so the interviewer said, so why are they doing this? And there were two reasons. One is despair. They've been there for 11 years, and they're never going to get out, they think, so why not just kill themselves? And the second one is to retaliate, hostility toward the U.S. government. Now, I'm not trying to politicize anything here. I'm just saying this, friends. If you are, if you are a Christian and you are leading a functionally uh, Bibleless Christian life, do you understand that what you've done is you put yourself on a hunger strike? You, you're not acting for your flourishing. You're acting in a way that is deliberately and foolishly self-destructive. And I want to call you away in the name of Jesus Christ from that ridiculous hunger strike. It is killing you. And it is totally dangerous. It is going to leave you vulnerable. It leaves you less joyful. It leaves you less useful. It is perilous, my friends. And why would you do that? Why would a child of God ever despair? Why would a child of God ever want to act in a way that would be hostile toward his heavenly father? Why wouldn't you much rather receive the bread of life and the sweetness of the gospel? Friends, may God open your eyes to the great privilege that is yours, that you are a scribe of the kingdom of heaven. And the words of Jesus are the words of eternal life. So that leads to the final point about mission. Not only are you grateful, not only are you growing, but are you helping others grow? And here you go again with these two images, right? The, the, The scribe isn't just a student. The scribe is a teacher, Right, doesn't just study the text or, or learn the words of God or steward the revelation of Jesus Christ for himself or herself, but for the sake of others. Uh, that Whatever you've been given, you give away. And the image of the householder, the master of the house, again, a very powerful image of giving things away to other people. It's an image of hospitality. Do you see that? There's hospitality in that image. Come on in. The master of the house, come on in. And then the word that Jesus uses, he's a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. It's a very strong word. It's it's a word that essentially means to throw out, not in the sense of disposing, but in the sense of almost pushing it in the hands of the person to receive it. And Jesus is saying, hey, are you an eager? I expect my disciples to be eager givers away of the treasure that I entrust to them eager givers away of of the riches of the gospel. And so I have to ask myself, am I doing that? Am I living like a gospel host or like a gospel hoarder? Am I a gospel miser? And you know what? I didn't like what I saw when I looked at myself and asked those questions. 
And I see a vision in verse 52 of a, you know, it's an echo of what Jesus has done for us, right? I mean, I think the whole point of those images is Jesus saying, listen, I'm the scribe. I'm the scribe of scribes. I'm the one who has, who has treasured the revelation of God, and I have, I have guarded it, and I have proclaimed it faithfully, and I am pouring it into you, my disciples, so that the truth about God is known, and I'm holding nothing back. What, what is mine is yours now. I am the scribe of scribes, so learn from me what it means to be a student of God's word and what it means to be a teacher of the good news of the gospel. I pour it into you. And Jesus is also, he's that great master of the house, isn't he? He's the one who says, here's my treasure. Here it is. You don't have to pry it out of my hands. Here's the gospel. I, br- I brought it out to you. I brought the treasure out to you in my life, in my incarnation. I brought it out for all to see in my teaching. I brought it all out in my uh, conquest over temptation. I brought it all out in my faithfulness to the law of our Heavenly Father. And I brought out the treasure of who I am when I gave myself as your substitute at the cross. I brought it out again when I rose in triumph from the dead. I brought the treasure out again when I brought the spirit-empowered application of all the benefits of my work to you. Treasure upon treasure upon treasure. And we know ourselves, he just pressed it into our hands. We didn't snatch it from him. It's just awesome. And you know what's amazing about Jesus, what this table reminds us of, is that he is still that master of the house this morning. He is not done giving his treasure away to us. Not even close. Not done giving it to his disciples, not done giving it away to his disciples, pressing it into our hands this morning, reminding us of his triumph and his commitment to us, and not done yet giving himself away to those who are not yet his this morning. Are we grateful for our privileges? Are we growing in our privileges? And are we a people who have been so stunned by his gifts to us that we are moving toward others uh, to help them grow? Let's pray. Lord, we want to be uh, captured by these privileges and to rejoice in them uh, today, but in such a way that we're not content to enjoy them ourselves but to move out toward others and to press them into the hands, uh, press these treasures into the hands and hearts of others. Would you equip us by your spirit for those great ends, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.